And I remember like my young self feeling less desired, you know, because I had my little doodle braids, <laughs> uh-huh. feeling less desired by my my crushes because of the way that I looked. So I wanted to straighten my hair for picture day. So that's kind of like where this story kind of stems out from. I let my I convinced my mom to let me straighten it. She straightened it, you know, she wrapped it up. And I was imagining like how the world would change with me coming out with my long straight hair, you know, and then the this, the morning of school, like I unwrapped it, you know, but I have 4C hair. So it was just like, it was, it was up. It was, it was, did not look how I expected it to look. Today's guest is director Annie Bercy, who, despite only graduating from college last year, has already worked with superstars ranging from Sierra to Cardi B. If that wasn't enough, she's also done editorial work with fashion houses from Prada to Telfar. Annie produced a short film called Riley in collaboration with Hulu, which premiered on Your Attention, Please. I'm so excited to go behind the scenes of the film and talk about how it pulls from Annie's own life experiences as a first-generation American growing up in New York. Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history. I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. Today, Annie Bercy, talks to us about the importance of making work for yourself. Hi, Annie. Hi. Welcome. How are you? I'm super down to talk. I'm super down to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm excited to get into it. Let's get into it then. So your film centers around this character named Riley, who is very much going through it. She's getting bullied for her hair. And I think that she has this idea that if her hair changes, that her life might be better. I want to perm my hair for picture day. And ruin those precious curls of yours? (laughs) No. Please, I can pay for it myself. I just want to try something different. You don't perm your hair for a day and then rinse it out when you change your mind. A perm means permanent. Why not spend your money on a a washing set instead? Maybe because I want it to be permanent. Well, maybe you don't know what you want. I want to start with this question. Annie, who is your main character? Who is Riley? There's a piece of Riley in all of us. I feel like Riley is an early 2000s Black girl just trying to navigate herself in the world, figuring out who she is, how she'll make a difference in this world who right now isn't voting in her favor. I feel like a lot of different Black women can connect to Riley's story of of having gone through being discriminated against solely because of her hair. It makes a big difference. Um, Riley is a person that people act differently to depending on her hairstyle. You know, Riley is a girl that's trying to figure out her beauty. Riley is a girl that's trying to understand her beauty, understand that it falls with how full her lips are, even though he would tell her otherwise, which it falls 
under how darker skin is, even though people tell her otherwise. Riley is a person who's trying to find beauty in something that everyone considers ugly. I have a collection of geodes, which is um, it's a normal rock on the it's a it's a it's a normal rock on the outside. I feel like a lot of like rocks look this way. Um, it's normal rock on the outside, but if you flip it over, like there's a whole amethyst. It's beautiful. There's so many layers to it. Riley's trying to find her own beauty in what doesn't fall under the traditional European beauty standards, which is the reason why I say that so many Black women can relate to Riley. Riley's just navigating herself through through those waters. So how would you say your own background helped to shape this character? There were a lot of little factors. I feel like growing up in a religious household, being so young and like being taught everything from your parents, especially you be, me growing up, I'm Haitian-American and growing up in America when my parents came from Haiti. I feel like when you're leaning towards your teen years and those, in those rebellious years, you begin to like question, not necessarily your faith, but like when you're a Haitian-American or when you're a Caribbean-American or being Haitian mixed with religion, like there's so many rules and judgments and so many um, just ways that my my mother was raised, like in her country versus versus the things that I'm exposed to, like living in America. It's, it's a completely different experience. And because my mother, my parents or Haitian parents or Jamaican parents weren't raised in America, there's a disconnect towards how a teenager or how a young adults should carry themselves. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like when I was like making Riley, I was heavily inspired like by my relationship with my mom at the age of Riley's age because there's a disconnect that's there. My mother was very is a very religious woman. And also um because of that age difference, you know, the mother kind of just tells what the child wants to do and expects her to listen entirely. And because of that, like the child has like a little fear towards her mother, so like she's not as inclined to let her know about the real things that are going on in her school, which is the bullying, because she moves Riley out of her zone school to a private school just so that Riley can have a better edu- education and had could have more for her future. So because of that, Riley is less inclined to tell her mom that she's getting bullied at the school because her mom sees the bigger picture, you know? Mm-hmm. And their mom is probably making sacrifices for her to go. Exactly. So because of that, like she's not, she'd rather crumple up a note of being that's being passed around as opposed to letting her mom know like what's really going on for her at the school. She She's more so like, I'm going to suck it up and deal with it because my mom, one, would either wouldn't understand or like, regardless, I'm not leaving the school anyway. So she kind of keeps to herself. Because she's young, right? It feels like freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a ripe era when you're you get yeah. that. Oh man, I my freshman year of high school, I had Iverson braids, really beautifully organized cornrows that Alan Iverson, the basketball player, used to wear. Yeah, okay. And I got to my high school and immediately was like, I have to change them. You know, like my hair started growing out, you know, and the new growth comes in and you feel a little yeah. bit unkempt. And you see, you know, I went to predominantly white high school, so you see your classmates who are look different than you, you feel that pressure to conform. And then when you have an incident like Riley has where she's being actively bullied, of course there's an emotional toll that's taken. For sure. I remember when, so the story was like inspired from when we were in Brooklyn, we moved all the way to Pennsylvania. So I was raised in Brooklyn for like the the first like seven years of my life. And then we moved to Pennsylvania for the same reason as Riley's mom. Like my mom wanted better for us. She wanted us to have grass. So we moved to Pennsylvania 
And I went to one school in the second grade, and then we switched over to a different school. It was a charter school named Renaissance Academy, where um, it was a predominantly white school. And I remember, like, my young self feeling less desired, you know, because I had my little doodle braids, <laughs> uh-huh. feeling less desired by my my crushes. I was in third grade, but um, by my crushes because of the way that I looked. So I wanted to straighten my hair for picture day. So that's kind of like where this story kind of stems out from. I let my, I convinced my mom to let me straighten it. She straightened it, you know, she wrapped it up. And I was imagining like how the world would change with me coming out with my long, straight hair, you know, and then the this, the morning of school, like I unwrapped it, you know, but I have 4C hair. So it was just like, it was, it was up. It was, it was, did not look how I expected it to look. So that was kind of like a moment for me. And, and we moved back to Brooklyn. Then we moved to Queens. I got bullied in that school for the entire seventh grade. And it was a terrible year. But like in general, like all the girls in that, in, in my school, which is a predominantly black school now, it was in my zone school, were all perming their hair, all had straight hair, all had, were just doing different things to their hair, washing sets to make it look straight, nice, perfected for school. It was no longer barrettes and clips anymore because now this is the seventh grade. There's no longer looking like a child anymore. So like that's kind of a mixture of both those experiences at school inspired this Riley story because me and my sister, we permed our hair and then eventually all our hair fell out. You know, we, we, we were one of the millions of black women that had to go through the big chop, you know, and start from scratch and start the natural process from scratch because those products, yeah, although they look good, they're not, they're meant to break down the the chemical compounds of our hair, burn it to look a different way. And that speaks to the part of the film where Riley is imagining herself in that permad. When I'm not in my school uniform, I like to be fierce. And I want my hair to be fierce too. That's why I use Lioness, the permanent relaxer cream system with constant conditioning. So fly, so free. So fly, so free. I can so clearly remember what it was like to be that age. And I think it's so amazing that you were able to channel some of your own story in this format. Um, Because in truth, it's just so unfortunate that we all have some version of this narrative, some way in which anti-Blackness has crept into the way that we see, perceive, and regard ourselves. And that, that kind of was like the social norm at the time. It wasn't really cool to be Black. I was bullied about how dark my skin was. I used to want to be a lighter skin complexion, you know? There was always something to say about being Black. And this piece, I kind of wanted now because of YouTube, there's a whole natural community where it's okay to have natural hair. Like here, like these are the products to use for, for your hair. These are the styles. These are protective styles. That kind of started happening. Like I think like Mid, mid high school years onward, I love where the world is today. It's okay to be a black woman now that there are so many shades. So I'm so happy that right now, shout out to Fenty, shout out to all the comp- the different companies that are making or giving black women more opportunities. Now black is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said um, in terms of contemporary conversations around black beauty and how far we have come all the way from, you know, the late 60s 
maybe even early 60s in Kwame Braithwaite, introducing the philosophy of, of Black is Beautiful, the Grandassa models who are modeling, you know, what it means to be Black and beautiful. And then up to today, there's still uh, legislation that's moving around in relationship to an act called the Crown Act that doesn't allow employers to terminate employment based on someone's hair. And so these issues of hair and beauty as it relates to Black culture are happening on an interpersonal level, on a legal level. And it's I think it's so important for us to sit and really do kind of that imagination dreaming that Riley has in that shop. You know, that voice could be an external voice that's saying, you're beautiful, you're worthy, or, or it can be that voice that comes from a parent that reminds a child, like, you are worthy, you are beautiful. Um, and sometimes it has to come just from yourself. You know, like, there's nothing like those mornings, like, there's this amazing thing that I really love from Insecure when Issa Rae's in the mirror and she's, like, hyping herself up. So, I'm like, everyone feels that way. You're like, you are so good, you are so powerful, there's such mm -hmm. potential in you. Um, and it has very little to do with your hair, but also your hair looks great, Ma, like, go have a good day, Literally. you know? Um, um, it's important. It's so important. It's so, so, so important. I also made this piece for the little boys and girls that so happen to watch this so that they don't make the same mistakes we made, you know, growing up and understanding that, like, you're beautiful the way that you are. Like, don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. So a lot of different inspirations like came from, for Riley, but I just wanted to make this nostalgic piece on like what things were and like how, how we should have conducted ourselves then versus how we want our kids to conduct themselves now. So a lot of different inspirations from this for this piece. It's so great at the end when we see this victorious moment with Riley rocking the braids, making it work at picture day. Next. 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 I know that as part of this project, you were able to identify a nonprofit that you really love and partner with Hulu to support it. I see that you have selected Hair on Purpose, which really connects all of these different themes that you're engaging with in the film. Could you tell us a bit about what they do and why they're important to you? Okay, so I remember choosing Hair on Purpose because I love that their, their basis of their nonprofit is teaching young black and brown girls to learn about their hair and how to have fun with their hair and what products to use for their hair. We don't understand how important that is for like little black girls because I didn't I didn't grow up learning how to take care of my hair. So the fact that there is a organization that kind of teaches and black and brown girls to manage their hair as opposed to like straightening it, blow drying it, conforming it to how other people would want it to look, I wanted to go towards them because I wish I knew about them when I was growing up. So I'm just like I would like to put them to the forefront because they're doing a really, really great thing. I love it. And I appreciate the opportunity to learn more about your film through their incredible advocacy and all of the interlocking pieces. I want to get more into you and your work and how it might be inspired by faith. But first, we're going to turn to some questions from Hulu subscribers who have watched Riley on your attention, please. 
If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Our first audience question comes from Carissa in California. Carissa asks, why is it important to make art for yourself in this industry? It's important to make art for yourself because you're most passionate about the things that you do for yourself. That comes in different ways. We're most passionate when we're doing something for ourselves, you know? I'm most passionate on doing this for myself, you know? I make these mood boards, which I do for the so fun for myself. I'm only just hoarding all these 500, 600, 200 images that I'm hoarding onto my phone, onto my computer. Let me like spit it out and put together this like catchy mood board so that I can see everything at once. And that's just solely, I did that for myself. I did the exact same thing for the, around the Black Lives Matter movement. I was feeling so, that, that three weeks of time after May 28th, after George Floyd um, had been taken down by the police and the riots began, you know, there was looting, there was people, there's more people dying. That three weeks of a held in breath, my, I had this really, really big lump in my heart, in my soul, and I didn't know what to, so the only thing that I did was make a mood board that was garnered towards black people because black people have been my biggest inspiration. I'm heavily inspired by the art that black people have made for the last 30, 40 years, if not prior to that. So I wanted to create something that was centered solely around black people because like no matter what people tried to say otherwise like we're the blueprint for a lot of things in fashion and music and culture in in, in general and making that for myself connecting it for myself that passion that i had for it the things that you do for yourself i noticed that people respond the most to my um black lives matter move board ended up having me work with sierra a month later which is crazy and really random, but that is what connected her with it. I think my initial mood boards is like what God says that like tuned into my page. So like those things that I'm doing for my for, for myself is um, is the greatest payout for me and it's also the greatest payout for my career as well. I wrote this Riley story for myself. Like I mean, yeah, it was for school, but like it was about my own personal story. Ended up on Hulu. Look at that. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Our next question comes from Tierra in California. Tierra asks, is there any Easter egg or element that makes a visual or sonic project in Annie Bursey production? I always make a cameo in my music videos. I always make a cameo. Um, a lot of people don't notice it, um, but I, I'm always like in my music videos somehow. You just have to really look for it. But outside of that, something that's like consistent that I notice, I'm always using like neon hues. I love an exaggerated New York City, so I'm always incorporating like some type of neon light, some type of neon lighting. I feel like that's kind of my signature style, you know? Like I I, I kind of like come think, thinking outside the box and just thinking of something completely random that I've never done before just to do it. So that's kind of what I like doing, not, not being too consistent all the time. But I think that's like the Gemini in me. I wonder for you, was there a moment or a set of moments where you went from being a viewer to being a maker? I was, I don't remember the last time I was just a viewer. Honestly, I've been making since, even if it was small on Windows Movie Maker, I've been making since, I want to say like sixth grade. 
specifically, or maybe even before. No, it was sixth grade. Sixth grade, I got my first little BlackBerry phone. And I already know I was shooting videos. I was doing photo shoots. Like I was doing the whole nine. And then I would take, I would put them onto my computer. I'd edit those photos. Like do, I'm talking full out photo shoots. Like, oh, like at church, after church, like this is my outfit. Like, you know, like doing full blown out shoots. And from that point, it went to like owning the Nintendo DSi with the Nintendo DSi. You can now take photos. You can like now edit it on the DSi. From that point, it went from like having a Galaxy, then finally having my first camera and doing vlogs, ending like, and editing like end of the year videos from both my church and my school. Like I was always making, but prior to realizing that it'd be something that I would want to do for like kind of the rest of my life or like more so like right now, you know what I'm saying? So more professionally, I think I started like really creating like when I was like my first year of college is when I started taking it seriously. But prior to girl, I was always making something always, 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 always being fed something and wanting to edit it myself, make a, just always on it, honestly. I love that. I'm always, um, I do. So my background is in the arts and that takes me to a lot of different places. And whenever I talk to, especially like school age kids, like elementary school, middle school, I'm like, the most potent thing you can do in your career is take yourself seriously. Because it starts there. It starts in your heart. It starts in the way that you trust yourself. It starts in the time that you spend on on a DSi or whatever like gear you have at the time, making the work work. Most definitely. Some advice that somebody had once told me was that don't in your in your bio on your social media don't put aspiring director aspiring artist aspiring because like that's telling not only the world but telling yourself that you're lacking and you don't have something say what you are even before you become it because from that point on like it it all starts from you like just like you said you said just now it all starts from within once you start believing it like you're going to start carrying yourself and making decisions in a way that contribute to what you want to be. So it's 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 all it all starts in the mind for sure. Mm-hmm. You mentioned making art after church. Are you still pretty religious? I would say that no, yeah, I'm still religious. I'm still I'm um, a seven-day Adventist, which are more or less a Christian that go to church on Saturdays. Um because of the pandemic or even prior to, we don't find ourselves like physically going to church anymore, but we still like come together, close the Sabbath, open the Sabbath and like use Saturday as a day of rest. I love it. My um, my best friend growing up was Seventh Day Adventist. Oh, so you know. I know. I know. And I ask you that because one, I think it's difficult to talk to strangers about faith. Period. But two, because I I grew up going to church. My family is a mixture of Catholic and like Southern Baptist tradition, and I believe so much in the power of faith. And it sounds like there's so much faith that has driven your creative career from the time that you were very, very little to the time of now. And I wonder if you could talk about um, some of those connections between faith and belief in the work that you make. I was raised in the church, so I always saw the world through the lens of like what I've been taught, you know? It takes you out of yourself. You're not the center of the world. There's so many people of this world and like there's so many there's someone higher than you. Like you're, 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 you're walking towards a greater purpose, you know? So I feel like that influences the one, the way that I carry myself, the way that I carry conversation with others. Like I'm not going to lash out and say things that I don't mean. There's like different practices like that you learn, like whether it's where, whether you're a seven day Baptist or you're Hindu or you're Buddhist or you're Catholic, there's certain practices that you learn that pretty much teaches you how to carry yourself, like to be a good human being. And I feel like those things I took with me along the way. And like, I want to always be genuine and never try to come to someone like with a prior intention. But I feel like the, what, what 
generally what's what faith and belief has mostly done for me is just it's that hope, that faith, like that you're keep you're, you keep pressing onward, like you do pray, but then you follow up with your own actions. Like you put out, you cast your intentions out into the world. You say that what you want like to happen for you. And then you put actions behind your words, like go towards it. And then after you get it, you then thank God for it. Because like everything that you do is not just like your own, like you're, you're, it's, it's more than that. So it's giving thanks and being humble, really. I want to know more about what is keeping you inspired lately? What are some of the things that you're watching, whether that be music videos, fashion films? Where are you seeking inspiration and maybe finding some foundations for new work? I think that I get my inspiration from so many different places at so many different random points in time. I find like a lot of inspiration via Vimeo. I feel like when I first wanted to be a director, like a lot of my inspiration was coming towards Gordon von Steiner. I believe he's a fashion director, which I found him on Vimeo. And I I would um, binge his videos. I would binge so many other people's videos, other people's, other directors' videos and so forth. And I've kind of been on that, like, that wave since where I'm just like finding new directors and like kind of binging their work. So more, more recently, like what I've, a director that I've really loved was Nadia Lee Cohen. I love binging her work as well. So like, honestly, like I've been finding inspiration from films that I randomly do see. I find inspiration from music videos. I find inspiration from store displays. And I find some way to have those all, all those inspiration come together. And then, then, I don't know, it it inspires whatever I make. Like, honestly, like it it comes from everywhere. I want to ask you about where you're seeking motivation now, because I mean, I've been following your career for a bit and there's such an incredible work ethic that you have. And there's so many ways that you're evolving, but I wonder how are you, how are you staying inspired and how are you filling your cup right now? Taking breaks inspire me. I feel like um, since the Black Lives Matter movement, where a lot of companies like kind of discovered that Black people existed, um, I've like just been getting an influx of work. It's been kind of crazy. So I think taking little breaks in between has been very, very helpful because you can kind of like refocus, recenter yourself and just realign yourself or just get new ideas. Maybe by just taking a step back, you know, going on vacation. I have like, I booked a trip to go to Texas in April. And like, I feel like for my birthday month, which is May, I'm going to take like a month off just so that I don't, it's not always going to have to be like here, like concept. Think of something right now. It's important to take a step back and don't do anything for a little bit. And so that you can just naturally find inspiration that just will come from anywhere, you know? Outside of that, I think that I'm always regurgitating, always um, binging Vimeo, just seeing like what these directors, these awesome directors are putting out there from all over the place. I'm always like still watching like on Instagram, on Twitter, the random things that I do find that are really, really cool because people are giving us endless content on a daily basis. And when, when you've thought you've seen enough content, here's this new page that completely relates to everything that inspires you and here it is, right? Like here it is for you to look at, to say, to be inspired by. So shout out to social media. I'm always being inspired by um, the constant art and creation that people are putting out. So I feel like I'm never, I'm never not inspired, honestly, because like with this cellular device, with this iPhone, there it's impossible to not come across something on a daily basis and be like, you know what? That's cool. Let me put a pin on that and I'll come back to that later. So that's kind of how I'm being inspired, like taking a step back and always like just saving images on my phone, saving them on Instagram, putting them on Pinterest as well, because I never know like when that 
one thing I thought was cool is going to come back and turn into this whole full-fledged idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm always saving. I'm always like unintentionally, subconsciously looking for inspiration. Thank you so much for bringing all of the good Gemini juju to the podcast today. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. For sure. I'm happy to be here. I am so grateful to Annie for bringing stories like Riley's to our screens. And I highly recommend you find her on Instagram to see what she does next because baby girl is booked and busy. If you enjoy this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention Please on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found. And also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please, the podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black Excellence.